This is HPR episode 2232 entitled Linux.conf.0-2017. Lily Ryan and is part of the series Interviews. It is hosted by Clinton Roy and is about 16 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is an interview with speaker and trainer Lily Ryan. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Welcome to our second uh, interview for Thursday at LinuxConf AU. Um, I'm here with Lily Ryan. Um, uh, Lily is a speaker here at, at the conference. Um, I first met Lily uh, over in New Zealand at the Python conference uh, New Zealand, where she was leading a teaching course. Um, I, I think that was... I think that was for beginners or for students? That was a, an introductory Python course for total beginners. Yeah, right. And I, I think I put my hand up as a, a helper or something for that. Yeah, I, I you did. And thank you. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, so, like, I've gone on to um, help out with a, a thing called Coded Dojo. Um, and that's, like, a worldwide thing. That started in Ireland, for memory. Oh, okay. Um, and basically, it's a set of fairly... Um, Fairly loose um, lessons on teaching kids how to code. Mm. Uh, back in Brisbane, we're really lucky. The local uh, the Brisbane City Council has picked it up. Oh, and, cool. and they run it at all the Brisbane City Council libraries. Mm. And they run four or five sessions uh, a year. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm sort of... You do sort of, like, six weekends a year with the students and you, you run through basic programming principles with them. Um, so I've sort of continued on with that. That's brilliant. Um, so, Glad to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting thing because it's um, it's it's one thing to know how to do something, but it's another thing entirely. It's a sort of no, another level of, of expertise to be able to flip that and teach teach those concepts to someone yeah. else. Yeah, I've had interesting experiences running Python workshops in a lot of different places. So Kiwi PyCon was one where I ran this particular workshop, but I've run a few in Melbourne where I'm based. And um, one of the more challenging experiences that I've had teaching Python to beginners, and this course is aimed at adults usually, not, not kids so much, um, was getting a couple of people in the course who spoke Spanish as their first language and not English. And the course is offered in a few different languages, but Spanish isn't one of them. So I speak Spanish, and it was interesting to sit down next to them and talk them through programming in a second language for me. That's not an experience I get very often, is to teach a coding language in a second language. Yeah, yeah, like I know, like, English is the sort of language that, well, like, like half of half of English is, is other words that we've... Um, air quotes borrowed from other languages mm. and, and we English does seem to be quite um, well 
um, well, I, I don't want to say designed, but the way that, that English has evolved means that if we need to add a new word to describe some technical concept, we will we will beg, borrow, and steal a word from some other, some other language mm. and, and make it fit. Is is Spanish um, that that way? Or? No, Spanish is a little like French in the sense that they they don't like loan words. They will translate words wherever they can. Right. Okay. Um, so, so it's it's a pure language. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> um, well, this is Spain-based Spanish. I know in, in Latin America it can be a bit different, and they will adopt words, from, particularly from English, which is their closest cultural influence on that continent. Um, there was a really good talk at the conference here yesterday, which was by three people who came from different cultural backgrounds talking about what it's like in the open-source community to have to have to use their second language, English, and the challenges that they face when the English instructions are written by English native speakers. Yep. Um, it was really great, and I'm thinking about going and going back and adapting some of the workshops that I've run in the past to make sure that they avoid fa- some of those pitfalls because it's important to be aware that the way you communicate doesn't always make sense to everybody. Yep. I mean, that's important for pretty much anything, but if you're teaching particularly... Yeah, I mean, I know, you know, I've certainly struggled at various times to try and convey a concept using English to people, you know, whose English is their first language, and I've struggled to find the right words. I can only imagine how difficult it is to go across yet another language barrier. Oh, yeah, it's something that I need to remind myself to be mindful of more often, and the talk yesterday was wonderful at um, spelling out some of the ways that we could be better at it as a community. Cool. I will add a link to to that um, to the to notes uh, for, for this episode because uh, most my, almost all of the, the talks are getting uh, recorded um, and I've already seen a lot of the, the talks up on YouTube mm-hmm. so I should be able to link, link to that that particular presentation uh, in the notes um, so you are also uh, giving a talk here at the conference <coughs> yeah that's right um, I gave it on Tuesday it was called the rage against the ghost of the machine the talk video came up the day after. I was really impressed. Cool. Um, it was about privacy and data and metadata and the afterlife, the the idea that what we're doing at the minute in terms of data retention um, is something that carries on further than we probably think or th- further than we would like to think because contemplating the end of our own existences is quite an uncomfortable thing and we don't do it that often. So is that is that having a, a like an Australian specific context, or was that a, a much wider thing? Um, I do touch on the Australian metadata retention legislation in there, but it's more general because a lot of the companies that I'm talking about that are the main culprits of this are American based. Um, I mean the traditional. Google, Facebook, Amazon, Trifecta particularly, um, those who run the ad networks especially have a whole bunch of data about us that can tell a lot about the way that we think. And the talk that I gave was about how that data could be used about us in future, particularly in conjunction with machine learning, machine learning algorithms and also the rise in personal assistance and automated assistance and all of those kinds of things. My theory is that it's probably a lot cheaper to get somebody's existing personality than to write a whole AI from scratch. And if you have access to somebody's personality through the data that they explicitly publish, like their Facebook posts and their tweets, as well as things that you know that they're interested in through 
uh, cookie metadata and all of that kind of thing, then um, you have a really well-rounded picture of that person. Well-rounded is probably the wrong phrase, but you have a very intense picture of that yeah, person. Yeah, like as, as complete as you could possibly imagine without doing like a, a 10,000 question questionnaire with them or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's data that, that gets captured in this way that we wouldn't share even with our intimate partners just because it's, uh, it shows processes of our chains of thought. Say you spend a late night on Wikipedia and you're clicking from one article to another that you find interesting. It shows a lot about your own interests over time. So so was your talk a, a warning? Was it uh, trying to, to give some advice on on what may come? Like, was it a, a warning about our possible futures where we'll have some sort of... Uh, uh, echo of ourselves surviving after our deaths? Was it was it trying to give a, a list of things to, to do to try and uh, stop your your profile um, continuing to exist? Yes and no. Um, warning might be the wrong word for it. Personally, I'm not in favour of this happening, but I also think that if people want to donate their personalities um, to, to the world for posterity, the way that people can donate their bodies after they die... They should be able to, and they should be able to make sure that the data that they that they contribute is an accurate representation of them, or you know, leave the legacy that they want to leave instead of the one that's being collected about them right now, which is generally something that flies under the radar for most right, people. Right, right. So there's there's that that element of choice there. Where, yeah, yeah, right. What I'm really interested in is informed consent. Yep. Making sure that people can understand what companies like this are doing with their data and the information that gets recorded about them every time they interact with the internet in any way um, because that's something that isn't always obvious even to tech techies um, and I think that by drawing it out into a future scenario regardless of the fact that it's a hypothetical helps to tell a story which people like stories can paint a picture of what this could look like in 50 years right. um, and I've found that this has been one of the most powerful ways I've been able to convey this information so far Okay, cool. and plus it's fun to talk about ghosts yeah yeah um, I'm trying to think you, you gave a story I'm trying to think was it a dinner a dinner talk that you did um, oh I'm struggling to remember the details now this is Kiwi Pike one last year yeah oh, was it was it the was it Radio signals? Yes. <laughs> Scientific hooliganism. Right. Yeah. I've given that one a couple of times. Yeah, that one that one was, was very interesting. Um, I Hopefully I'll be able to find the video of that and link that to the, the story notes as well. Yeah, they've got one up. Cool. Um, well, yeah, that was, uh, that was about the first hack in history. Right. Which, when you're talking about technology hacks, um, happened in 1903 and it was all about radio tech. Um, you'll notice a theme here. I'm sort of exploring the past and the future and all of that kind of thing. Um, yep. And the ethics and extrapolating from all of that based on our current situation. Yep, yep. Um, part of that's because I was a historian before I became a software engineer. And I've got a really deep-seated interest in looking outside the spectrum of what we think we know in terms of the tech industry yep, yep. and seeing what we can borrow from others. Yeah. I'm not unique in that regard, I know, but I find it very interesting personally and it's what drives me often in the talks that I give. Well, I think um, 
I think the, the current sort of development modes that we've got are very much focused on the next feature or the next bug fix and mm. you know everyone's doing agile these <laughs> days which means that you've got like a two three four week sprint so mm. the amount of looking ahead we do is that long <laughs> yeah um and you know we're starting to see issues with this now in terms of security where the security people have been screaming at us developers to um look fundamentally deeper at our code and Mm. and try to learn the lessons of the past where instead of just patching each bug we we try to patch each class of bug as it comes up and and we still haven't figured out how to do that it's interesting also when i say that i'm a historian or a tech historian most people think that goes back to about 1970 and i'm really looking more at 1870 or, or further back in the talk that i gave at this conference um a lot of what I was drawing on were 17th century philosophical concepts. Not that that was necessarily something that you would know if you listened to the talk, but that's what it was. And that's the sort of scale that I'm trying to think at because I think that this sort of perspective is useful. A lot of the way that we deal with technological problems is just a facet of the way that we've always communicated with each other as human beings. And if you look at it in that sense, people have been discussing these issues and what we do about them for a very long time. It, it sort of strikes me that you're, um, I guess, most of us who are sort of creating the technology at some respects, um, we sort of separate ourselves from the things that we're building, where it sounds like you're trying to say that um, these artefacts that we're producing, they are, um, they are part of humanity, they are... Um, expressions of, of our humanity. Yeah, whereas, they are. Whereas the engineer will sort of go, you know, this bridge, it's it's made for driving trucks over. Mm. It's it's not, it's not an expression of myself as, as as a human or anything like that. Well, you go to a museum and you look at the very early artifacts, and they'll say, oh, this is a very ex- you know a very good example of an early stone hammer, which is a tool. And a lot of what we look at in terms of software is also a tool for facilitating one thing or another. But the amount that archaeologists and historians have been able to glean from a stone hammer about the way that people lived and worked in those sorts of situations is enormous. I mean, a lot of the information we have about things that happened 10,000 years ago are because of artifacts like that. That's what gets left. Our software tells us an equal amount about the way that we are as human beings, I think. Yep, okay. Yep. Yeah, and I guess you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people stuff like you know in the open source movement where you've got like the the rights of the user where we've put the the rights of the user at the the top of the pedestal mm-hmm. and we're, we're you know at least at least we're at least giving lip service to, to putting the user at the top of the the uh, uh, top of the pile. Um, we we don't always put the the mm-hmm. user at the top. Um, we, we, you know, we don't even always put other developers at the top. You know, we we um, quite often um, are quite cruel to other other people who are doing the same thing as we are, just on different projects. And yeah, um, that there does at times seem to be a, a fundamental lack of, of humanity when we're developers are dealing with other developers. Yeah, it um, it's interesting to think that computer people aren't people people 
um, because in a lot of ways we're providing the tools that people are going to use in future. Yeah. Um, everybody is a technologist now. Everybody who touches the internet in any way has to be in some way. Yep. And these are just the, you know, the tools that we use to talk to each other. Yep. It's a new expression of something very old. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, are there any other uh, talks that you're looking forward to at, at LCA that you'd like to mention? Um, I actually saw the, the program for the lightning talks that are going to happen on Friday mm-hmm. evening. Um, there are a few that look really interesting, um, but are not tech-related. I know Jacinta Richardson's got one about going to Antarctica, which oh. is something I've always wanted to do. <laughs> Has, has she actually gone, or is she? Oh, she's just... been uh, twice, I think. Oh wow! Okay, cool. Yeah. Excellent. Um, that makes makes my little uh, South Coast track talk seem a little bit uh, tiny in comparison. Oh, <laughs> uh, geographically, you're nearly there. <laughs> um, and there's uh, there's another one called Lightning Karaoke, and I'm keen to see how that gets oh, executed. <laughs> I I think I might um, put the earplugs in for that one. See how we go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, everything looks great, though, and it's been a really wonderful conference. Excellent. Okay, cheers. Thank you very much for, for talking to me. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.